I want to take a second to remind you to sign up for the Poso Daily Brief. It is completely free. It'll be one email that's sent to you every day. You can stop the endless scrolling trying to find out what's going on in your world. We will have this delivered directly to you totally for free. Go to humanevents.com slash Poso. Sign up today. It's called the Poso Daily Brief. Read what I read for show prep. You will not regret it. Humanevents.com slash Poso. Totally free. The Poso Daily Brief. What happens when the fourth turning meets fifth generation warfare? A commentator, international social media sensation, and former Navy intelligence veteran. This is Human Events with your host, Jack Posobiec. Deliver us from Corrupt evil. politicians in both parties spent trillions, killed millions, made billions for themselves in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, fighting wars that sent... Thousands of our sons and daughters, people my age, to die in wars that did not advance anyone's interests. Do you want a leader from a different generation who's going to put this country first, or do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? All right, Mr. In which Ron case, we've got two of them. This morning, tensions escalating across the Middle East and the United States increasingly involved, responding after U.S. bases have come under attack from Iranian-backed forces. To protect our citizens from foreign threats, I will build state-of-the-art missile defense shields. Ukraine is not a paragon of democracy. Banned 11 opposition parties. Consolidated all media into one state TV media arm. Threatened not to hold elections this year unless the U.S. forks over more money. It has celebrated a Nazi in its ranks, the comedian in cargo pants, a man called Zelensky. And so to frame this as some kind of battle between good versus evil, don't buy it. They turn out to be so corrupt. Anytime you have mail-in ballots, you have corrupt elections. I don't care what it is. The Minnesota Supreme Court has dismissed the case on Donald Trump's ballot eligibility in Minnesota. Inflation is a country buster, and it's busting our country right now, where bacon is five times more expensive than it was just a short while. Bacon! Even I say, I don't want any bacon, it's too expensive. I will end Joe Biden's war on American energy, and we will unleash our most powerful economic weapon. We are going to drill for so much oil. Aren't we all tired of the deep state bullshit? Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. This is Libby Emmons coming to you live with Human Events Daily, where I am sitting in for Jack Posobiec. A few things were made clear on the GOP debate stage last night. One is that the schism in the Republican Party between the establishment war hawks and the MAGA great base is growing even deeper as we head into 2022. And the other is that Vivek Ramaswamy asked the most compelling question of the night. A lot of questions were asked at the RNC debate. Many of them were asked by NBC's Kristen Welker, Lester Holt, Hugh Hewitt, but Vivek's question, in my view, stole the show. He questioned RNC chair Ronna McDonald about her ability to lead a party that has seen nothing but losses, even inviting her to come up onto the stage and explain herself, and he asked Welker, Holt, and Hewitt why they were the ones asking questions. He said that there was no reason to see what were essentially partisan pundits questioning conservative candidates for president, and he's right. A recent report out from Media Matters showed that the big three networks have barely covered the GOP, and when they have, it has been mostly been on Trump's indictments, and of that coverage, 93% of it was negative. Why is the conservative platform being represented on the national stage by a partisan network and partisan pundits? Why, as Vivek asked, aren't Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, or even Elon Musk out there asking questions? Did the nation really get a fair look at these candidates who seek the highest office last night? 
Why is it that the Republicans are seeking legitimacy from a media enterprise that has consistently misrepresented and lied about their values and positions? Do the Republicans have no respect for their own side? Why are these the people who are chosen to suss out the views and the message of the GOP? It is hard to believe that the moderators even thought it was their job to help the nation understand the conservative perspective, a perspective that has been censored, suppressed, and misrepresented consistently across mainstream media. And you don't have to take my word for it. There is mounting evidence that the Biden administration has colluded with media and social media to minimize and dismiss conservative views. Why does the RNC think that their job is to appeal first and foremost to the people that hate them and only secondarily to try to construct a cohesive message for the party and its constituents? It doesn't make any sense. And everyone should be pretty much horrified that this is the way conservative values are being presented in the United States by the party that claims to uphold conservative values. It's almost as though, as Vivek said, losing is the goal. And judging by 2018, as he pointed out, 2020, 2022, and even just this past Tuesday, when Republicans were given another solid defeat across the United States, you sort of get the sense that perhaps the goal of the RNC is not to win elections, but to belittle and demean their base until their base gives up and abandons the voting booths entirely. One thing is clear, the force that is missing for victory is MAGA. And while Vivek Ramaswamy clearly won the debate, Donald Trump will definitely be the nominee. And we've got a great show coming up for you today. We are going to be talking about what's been going on on college campuses. If you've been watching that footage, it's been absolutely insane to see on American University and um, George Washington University and all over the place, students coming out and standing against Israel, against Jewish students, and for Hamas. Um, so we're going to definitely be talking about that. We're going to be talking about some of the crazy laws that have been happening in California, um, specifically the ones that are taking away parents' rights. And it's going to be a great show. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the best ways that you can support us here at Human Events and the work that we do is subscribing to us on our Rumble channel. Make sure you're subscribed, you hit the notifications so you'll never miss a clip, you'll never miss a new live episode, and we're putting them out every single day of the week. With bloods, and then boys had a saying. Can't be listening to all that slappy whack, trimatazalitzabam ship, nippy bam bam, like human events with Jack Posobiec. On college campuses across the U.S., we've been seeing students praising terrorists and condemning the efforts to stop that terror. At George Washington University, Harvard, Yale, Columbia, Cornell, American University, University of Washington, UC Berkeley, UCLA, UVA, UPenn, NYU, Cooper Union, Oberlin, Wesleyan, Penn State, Texas A&M, Sarah Lawrence, and dozens of others, students have held protests supporting the terrorist group Hamas. They use slogans that call for the eradication of Israel, they claim Israelis should go back to where they came from, and they tear down missing posters of those 250 people who were kidnapped by Hamas on October 7th and say it was fabricated, and they claim Hamas is simply fighting to destroy their oppressors. And these students, these young Americans, speak with the authority that comes from obtaining a so-called top-tier education in the richest nation on earth. What's shocking, however, is not just their anti-Semitism and their poor understanding of the facts, but the complete and total immersion of a worldview that sees only victims and oppressors. We know the origins of this worldview and how it has come to take root on campuses, and there's plenty of terminology that we use to explain it. Critical race theory, Marxism, socialism, communism. 
We know that university professors who are now bestowing their legacy on these kids are steeped in the victim-oppressor worldview themselves, going back to the 1960s, and that educators themselves took up this worldview and imparted it to American kids as early as 1989, when Peggy McIntosh released her absurd missive on the invisible knapsack. I saw the beginnings of this when I was in high school, and it was termed political correctness. The idea that there were certain things you should not say and that the metric for what a person should say or should not say was based on their own skin color, relative privilege in society, and the relative victimhood of the person you were talking to or about. Political correctness was a manifestation of the oppressor-victim worldview, and it seemed silly. It seemed like something we could overcome as a culture, but as the years wore on, we ended up in this place where our American culture has been derided and undermined as something that stemmed from the oppressor, and those who claim to be on the side of the victim are more than willing to cast it off, destroy it, and every good thing that came from it. Now we have this glaring problem in our educational system that has transformed the United States in these kids' minds, from the ultimate benefactor to the ultimate oppressor. And that worldview is able to be exploited by those who hate the U.S who hate these kids and who want nothing more than our own destruction. This is happening to such a degree that the scope of it is hard to comprehend. And let's not forget the revelation that CNN, the New York Times, Reuters, and the AP all had freelancers embedded with Hamas when they massacred civilians on October 7th. This is the media landscape that is supporting these views and literally bolstering the perspective of those who hate America. Groups that have obtained charitable status from the IRS or are operating under not-for-profit umbrella groups like the Tides Foundation are funding and organizing anti-Semitic hate on U.S. campuses. They are indoctrinating our students, our future leaders, and are doing so with the, the support of American institutions and taxpayers. These groups are funneling money into the U.S. to turn our children against their homeland, and much of what they're doing looks shockingly similar to what we saw in the summer of 2020 when fiery but mostly peaceful protests crisscrossed the nation. Here to talk to us about all of that is Ari Hoffman. How you go? How you doing, Ari? I'm great, Libby. How you doing? Really good. Thanks so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So you were actually on the University of Washington campus just recently, and you saw some of these protests. You saw these kids just calling for basically the death of everyone in Israel, and the Jewish students on campus were really disturbed by this. Can you tell us what happened? Absolutely. So what I saw was a lot of activists came to campus to support this student-led group, which is the Students Against pa for a Palestine as its own independent state, they say, but really they're a bunch of Hamas supporters. And what happened was they attracted every activist in Seattle, be them from BLM or whether they're from Antifa or any of the people. I saw faces of people I saw from the 2020 riots in the Autonomous Zone wandering around there. Because really, there's this intersectional coalition on the left which hates America. This is unfortunately nothing new to the Jewish world. We've been tracking this stuff for the last 20 years. We've been seeing this kind of curriculum work itself, as you mentioned, you saw it when you were in high school, work itself into the American education system. It's in the high schools. It's in the colleges. I take you back to 2020. Black Lives Matter was replacing all the stuff from Martin Luther King Day in Seattle public schools with stuff about Marxism, with stuff that hated America, talking about oppressors, victimhood culture. And they were talking about all the Marxist advisors to Martin Luther King Jr., not anything about him. So, so on MLK Day, they weren't even discussing him. This is the kind of stuff we have seen. They use it as a gateway to get in their hateful messaging. Something else is there's a lot of after school clubs 
that are on high school and college campuses that are paid for by outside agencies, be it allies of Hamas, be it allies of the Chinese Communist Party. A lot of this money is coming into educational institutions because they want the downfall of America. Why and this is something that, Jews have uh, seen for a long time. Why do you think that American institutions have been so vulnerable to this kind of funding and this kind of ideology? It's nothing new. It's the same kind of stuff we saw in the 1960s. This is the same kind of radical anti-American stuff we saw with critical theory, mm -hmm. which was a tool of the Soviet Union to combat capitalism. Now they just put a new word into it, critical race theory. They use it to create this culture of people who feel victimized and who are they going to lash out at? They're going to lash out at their victimizers in their mind. But here they're trying to make their victimizers America. They're trying to say it's Israel. They're trying to say it's anybody but the people who are doing it themselves. That's why you see LGBTQ activists well, that's supporting huge. Hamas when Hamas right. would throw them off roofs that in makes, Gaza. That's one of the things that makes absolutely no sense to me. You see queers for Palestine and you're just looking at this. And then so I, I was thinking about that myself. And so I started looking up some of the laws in Gaza regarding homosexuality and you get 10 years in prison for homosexuality and you see all of these signs that are like reproductive justice for Palestine and so I looked that up and I was like oh is there is abortion accessible in Palestine like the you know Palestinian territories and you look at it and you're like no it turns out it turns out that that's not legal. There's very strict rules about that. And of course, you know, abortion is uh, legal if the life of the mother is at risk, if the doctor approves it, and in cases where there's fetal abnormalities, the parents can decide to terminate the, the child, which of course we know is how Iceland ended up with, you know, 0% Down syndrome in their country anyway. So yeah, it's actually been really surprising. Why do you think that there's been this uh, total disconnect between this one ideology of complete sexual and gender liberation, embracing the you know ideology of uh, essentially racism and hatred? Well, in some cases, it's ignorance. It's like chickens holding up signs that say chickens for KFC <laughs> right. or cows holding up signs that say cows for McDonald's. In some cases, it's ignorance. They just don't know. I mean, let's be real, Libby. How much do you and I know about the politics of Mexico or anything in South America? Well, for sure. We know what we need to know to cover the border, and that's about it. So how much do people really know about a country that's on the other side of the world? But in some cases, it's about the ends justify the means. They know exactly what they're saying, and they want the downfall of America, what they don't realize is that Hamas would cut their heads off too. So they see themselves as allies right now and don't know that Hamas wants their death. The Saturday Night Live in Israel, they have their own version of it. It's not affiliated with Saturday Night Live. They did a great parody sketch over the weekend which has these college kids talking to a Hamas member where they're saying, oh, we love you so much. And he's literally calling for their deaths and they're too dumb to comprehend what he's saying. So, yeah, that's another thing is you were looking at this yesterday for the post-millennial, the, the photographers who were embedded with Hamas on October 7th. Um, what did you discover about the relationship between these freelancers and CNN, the New York Times, Reuters and the AP? What's that all about? So it's... It seems like all those outlets took whoever was willing to give them pictures and made them official journalists. They call them freelancer journalists. And meanwhile, these guys were not just embedded with the terrorists. There's videos of them holding grenades. There's tweets where they are celebrating what these, was happening. These, these photographers tweets. were holding grenades. 
Yes, the photographers okay. were holding grenades. There's tweets where they are celebrating the massacre that's going on in Israel. There's some tweets where they're talking about planning the massacre that's going on in Israel. And all these media outlets, due to the backlash, have come out with these statements. And they've sent them to me. But when I reached out to them and said, what's your vetting process for these journalists? They all said, oh, it's extensive vetting. I go, great. What's your vetting process? And let's not forget that also all these media outlets, since this expose came out, from honest reporting, which first exposed it, have been removing the photo credits because they don't want you seeing who took these pictures. There are so many of these quote unquote journalists that are now, shall we call them guests of the Israeli government because they were actually terrorists carrying around grenades, attacking people. They were part of what was going on. And here's something else. If you're a journalist and you're there to document things, let's give them benefit of the doubt, which they don't deserve. That still doesn't remove you from being a human being. They're documenting the rapes. They're documenting the executions. They're documenting the torture. At what point do they go, we need to help people because we're human beings? And well, they the didn't I have because they were directly involved in it. They must have known about it ahead of time. So at the point when they were embedded with, you know, these terrorists, they had known ahead of time that this was likely what was going to happen. Do you, I mean, to what extent do you think the media outlets that bought the images, do you think that they ever questioned these photographers about what they knew and when they knew it? For sure not. They probably just said, what's the location of this? Because let's not forget that going back to the last time there was a conflict between Israel and Hamas, Israel blew up the Associated Press building after they evacuated Right, I remember that. And the AP Hamas, got really right. mad about that. They were just, the, the AP exactly. was like, hey, how dare you? And then it came, and then it seemed terrible. And then it came out that it turned out that they were sharing um, basically office space, essentially. They were like down it's, the hall It's or the worst kept secret in the Gaza mm -hmm. Strip that Hamas says to journalists, here's what you're going to cover, here's what you're going to report, or we're going to kick you out, or we're going to kill you. And of course they shared offices with the AP. There's big satellite dishes on the roof, which they were using. Everybody knows this, nobody talks about it. And you notice the mainstream media isn't picking up this story because it's embarrassing for them because most of them do the same thing. So right. what happen was if they point to these guys and go hey you did it they're gonna go you pick up the ap newswire you covered this stuff also well yeah because they are the ones that get all the funding and they get out there and <laughs> they get things covered um yeah that's really that's really stunning to see that happen and it is really also quite quite a thing to see what's going on on campuses and how similar it is to what was going on on campuses in 2020 as well Talk about influencers. These are influencers, and uh, they're friends of mine. Jack Rosovic. Where's Jack? Jack. He's done a great job. So we have some breaking news today. We have this from humanevents.com, which you can go check out. And this comes to us out of Spain. Spain's right-wing party. Vox, the co-founder of that party, was shot in the face on the way to protest the socialist takeover of Spain. So he was out there on, on Thursday. He was the uh, co-founder, um, and he was shot after leaving his home in downtown Madrid. Uh, Alejo Vidal Cadras, who is 78 years old, he is projected to survive um, after having been shot in the face by a man in a, in a motorcycle helmet who then jumped on a motorcycle after he was shot and, uh, and rode off. It took place about 1.30 p.m. on the Nunez de Balboa Street in Salamanca. Um, and the attacker was a small man uh, 
who took off, as I said, on a motorcycle. Um, and what happened after that is that um, the Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez, you know, conveyed his solidarity, wishes for a speedy recovery. But also the uh, head of the Vox Party had said that he is looking for a mass mobilization in the streets to protest this socialist uh, takeover. And there's been a lot of protests recently um, stemming from a call for amnesty for uh, some Catalonians, I believe. And um, yeah, so that's actually been pretty shocking. They've been out there calling for uh, Spain to be considered a Christian nation as opposed to a Muslim nation. And this is something, of course, that we will continue to be tracking at humanevents.com. And it does mirror some of what's been going on in across Europe with the influx of migrants all over the place in Germany. We've seen that in London as well and in France. And there's been so many protests um, coming from Muslim quarters in those nations. And it looks like uh, Spain is hoping to stave off some of that as well. And of course, here in the United States, some more breaking news we have that's sort of on a similar attack. We had Marjorie Taylor Greene today in the House of Representatives. She brought a resolution to impeach the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. And though she has called for his impeachment several times before, what makes it interesting this time is that two of her constituents from her home county in Georgia were actually just killed um, by human smugglers. So they were traveling from Georgia to Mexico, and they were their car was smashed by um, a car that was driven by a human smuggler who was carrying illegal immigrants from the border. Um, so she stood in the house today. She demanded that he be um, taken out of office. And um, she said that it was time to impeach him for high crimes and misdemeanors. And those constituents were Jose and Isabel Lerma um, from her district. And the human smugglers, actually, what's really interesting is that a lot of times the human smugglers are Americans. They are enlisted by cartels, and the cartels advertise on TikTok and other places to get Americans to come pick up illegal immigrants from one place and bring them to another place um, where they're picked up again, you know, by another another person in that cartel and driven further into the interior of the United States. And what we see here is a real problem. Um, and it's a problem that we've seen since Biden took office. And when Marjorie Taylor Greene calls for the impeachment of Mayorkas, it's not even just for the most recent problems that have been at the border. If you look back at uh, the spring of 2021, shortly after Biden took office, you had Alejandro Mayorkas stand up there and say to illegal immigrants or would-be illegal immigrants, we're not saying don't come, we're saying don't come now. He said that very clearly. And I remember because I was watching that day when he said that. And we were shocked at the post-millennial when he said that. Um, others were shocked as well in Congress. They continued to try and press him on that. He denied having said it, but there it was. And now we have a situation where, according to um, MTG's resolution, some 10 million illegal migrants have entered the country since Joe Biden took office. That's 10 million more people than should be in this country. And we have situations where human smugglers are causing all kinds of problems all over the place. Um, so yeah, she said that, <coughs> she said that um, rather than adhering to an oath he took to defend and secure our country and uphold the constitution when he was sworn in and as secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Nicolas Mayorkas has engaged in a pattern of conduct 
that is incompatible with the laws of the United States. She said that he has not executed the laws passed by Congress and has not maintained operational control over the entire international land and maritime borders of the United States. And she's right. Um, in, she said, in his willful admittance of border crossers, terrorists, human traffickers, drugs, and other contraband, he has failed to uphold the Secure Fence Act of 2006. He has not protected the nation against invasion. He's allowed 10 million illegal border crossers into the country. She said, the ongoing invasion at our southern border is a direct national security threat against the states, against the citizens therein. Secretary Mayorkas has willfully abandoned his duty to secure the border and protect states against invasion, thereby violating Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution. She also went through the number of people who have been let into the country um, who really shouldn't be here in addition to just, you know, they shouldn't be here. Uh, that includes 280 people on the terrorist watch list who are caught entering the country, 400,000 unaccompanied minors who have been let into the country, and that includes 85,000 of these children who are now missing. And that's after the DHS has turned them over to sponsors. These sponsors are typically not vetted, and this leads to further human trafficking in the United States. The DHS washes their hands of them as soon as they are given over to their sponsors. Um, there have been nearly 1,500 deaths of illegal immigrants attempting to cross the border, MTG said. She told the House this. 73,000 special interest aliens have been in, um, have made their way in. And along with that, there's been this huge amount of fentanyl that's been leading, as so many of you are aware, to deaths of despair across the country and to increased problems for our kids in the United States. Um, and this, you know, this has taken... They've taken full advantage of Biden's unwillingness to secure the border. So it makes a lot of sense to uh, get, get Mayorkas out of the way. I don't know if she's really going to be able to get him out of there, though. Um, Mayorkas has been derelict in his duty, she said. He has practiced catch and release where illegal immigrants are apprehended and turned loose into the United States. He halted construction on the border wall, which is another thing she said is absolutely against his... Um, against his mandate, and he ended the migrant protection protocols, which is the remain in Mexico policy that was so successful under Donald Trump, where a person needs to apply for asylum in Mexico and then wait there until it's their turn. Instead, now what we have is a situation where illegal immigrants cross over the border and um, border patrol, they give them a court date sometimes years and years into the future where they will come and have to come back to court and say that they're going to, you know, that they need asylum. And in a lot of these cases, and as DHS and Border Patrol have said, many of these people are not going to be eligible for asylum and their cases are not going to be found favorably, yet they're being transported out into the rest of the country. By the time five years is up, who knows where they will be or what will have happened or if, you know, it will even be possible to deport any of these people at that point. She said that uh, Alejandro Nicolas Mayorkas, in his inability to enforce the law, has engaged in a pattern of conduct that is incompatible with his duties as a civil officer of the United States. And of course, this comes after he was just recently questioned in the Senate about the disaster at the border. And he was questioned about it uh, if he thought it was a, a, a disaster. And he said no, that he did not think the border was a disaster at all. I think MTG's constituents, who tragically lost their lives, would surely disagree. He said, no, the disaster is that we have a broken immigration system that we cannot seem to fix. 
But of course, this is the man perfectly standing in the way of fixing it. Um, so I think we're going to wait and see if, if there's any success to this motion. MTG has moved to impeach a number of other Biden administration officials who she feels fully are not doing their job. And I think in many cases, the current circumstances of the United States show that they are not fully pulling their weight. Um, I would love to know personally why the Biden administration thinks that it's a great idea to let so many illegal immigrants into the country. And just for comparison's sake, during Trump's last year in office in 2020, I believe it was 480,000 illegal immigrants that were let in. 480,000, that's it. We have more than that coming in practically every month. There's 10,000 illegal immigrants going into New York City every month, which we've already seen. Uh, Mayor Eric Adams has said this was a disaster and that he's going to have to cut other areas of funding in order to accommodate paying for all of these illegal immigrants. Um, New York has a right to shelter law, which means that it is required by law that the government find somewhere to put these people. They're renting hotels from Pakistani organizations. Um, it's absolutely insane to see what's going on there. So um, I'm very interested to see if, uh, if MTG's motion gets, gets any steam, especially since now there's such a personal reason for her to, um, to pursue this matter. So yeah, I wonder what's next for, I wonder what's next for, uh, for the border situation there. Um, there's been a lot of speculation as to why Biden would let so many illegal immigrants in, despite him saying that that's not even his intention. You, of course, have the idea that these illegal immigrants are going to eventually be granted citizenship and be able to vote Democrat. Although one wonders if like a thorough amnesty and allowing people to become um, citizens in some easy way is really on the mind of the administration. Perhaps that's something that we would see if they end up going, um, going on to be successful for a second term. One thing that is clear, however, is that Trump's border policies, even though they were called all kinds of horrible things like inhumane and not compassionate, it turns out that those were the most compassionate policies of all because they didn't encourage cartels to come smuggling people across the border. They didn't encourage families to send their children north with human traffickers only to have who knows what happens to them. And they didn't encourage all of these nations to just let loose all of their all of their people to come north into the United States. So I think it's clear that the least compassionate policy is an open border policy, uh, such as we've seen with the Biden administration. I hope that's something that we can turn around if, um, if we get another shot at the White House with Donald Trump. I don't think that this is the kind of thing he would tolerate. And we've already seen uh, candidates for the GOP saying that they would revoke visas and, and, and conduct deportations. So that'll be interesting to see. Stop buzzing in my ear about the boring people at your office. I'm trying to listen to the new human events with Jack Pozobic. California isn't the first state you think of when you imagine parents fighting back against gender ideology in schools. But it's one of the states from which I've had an enormous number of parents reach out wanting to make public both the atrocities being committed against their students and that there's hope for parents in California. And if there's hope for parents in California, there's hope for all of us. Parents have watched schools gender transition their daughters in secret, 
Parents have had schools refuse to show them the curriculum being force-fed to their kids in schools. These are kids who were masked during COVID, who had their extracurricular activities cut, supposedly for their own health. California has authorized textbooks for use that soft-pedal the concept of Islamic Jihad, bash Christianity in America. California allows schools to keep students' gender transition secret from parents. This is a state that allows teachers to provide so-called transition closets where daughters can come to school dressed in clothes their parents bought for them only to change into chest binders, stuff packers in their underwear, and sons can put on dresses and makeup all to wear during the school day only to change before going home so their parents don't see and don't have any knowledge of what they're actually up to. Senator Scott Weiner has backed laws that our next guest, Erin Friday, calls state-sanctioned kidnapping, where schools can refer students to mental health counselors, and those counselors can remove a child from the family home without even informing parents. Weiner says this can happen in cases of abuse, but he also has redefined the concept of abuse in California to include parents who refuse to affirm a child's gender identity. In California, if your daughter says she's a boy and you say no, you aren't, that's abuse and you could lose custody. He also pushed through a law that permits runaways from other states to undergo medical gender transition in California without informing parents that it's what's happening or even where their missing child is. Wiener also allowed male violent offenders to self-ID as women in order to gain access to women's prison. One man, convicted murderer Dana Rivers, murdered a lesbian couple and their son before attempting to set their house on fire and destroy the evidence. He is housed in the Women's Correctional Facility at Chowchilla. Erin Friday of Our Duty has been fighting against all of this, and she's here to talk about it. Hi, Erin. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Libby. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm uh, so happy to be here. Me too. I'm very glad to. I'm very glad to see you today. I was hoping that you could talk to us about some of the bills that uh, Scott Weiner has been pushing through. He's been he's been rather successful, I think, in his efforts. This is the. BDSM loving uh, state senator from the Bay Area who all, who also, I know that you saw this, he also was advocating for a parade, um, uh, a whole, it was like a whole festival in the street where, where um, there, was, <laughs> there was a pee pool where people could get in and uh, other attendees could, could pee on them in public. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, this yeah. is a senator. A yeah. senator in the most powerful state in our country is advocating that people urinate on each other. I mean, how did we get here? Um, <laughs> Libby, as you know, I'm a Democrat and I'm a liberal, but this is just absurd. I mean, children are walking in these parades. Children are walking by and watching naked men um, with, you know, semi-erect uh, penises walk around. It's just pure depravity. And that's who Scott Weiner is. He's just a, a hedonistic human who has no respect for women, no respect for the family, and no respect for children. And he so, wants to destroy our state. And he's doing a pretty good job of it. So why don't you tell us about some of the custody laws that he has managed to implement on California? Well, the one that you spoke about, it's called AB 665. This mm -hmm. is the state-sanctioned kidnapping bill. And um, there needs to be no claim of abuse, no claim of harm or self-harm of the child or harm to others before a 12-year-old can walk out the front door of their family's home and choose a new family. So that child can uh, emancipate themselves, 
uh, go ahead and go to a residential facility. They don't even need a counselor to assist them on that. They can walk out the door. So a 12-year-old can a just state run walk out, the, walk out yeah. of school one day, go to a state-run facility, declare themselves emancipated, and what, reason, what reasons do they have to give in order for the state to allow them to just leave their family home at 12 years old? None. Zero. I don't want to be at home. So the way the law used to be before Scott Weiner uh, got his hands on it is a child to leave the family home had to have one of four things happening at home. Incest, abuse by the parents, self-harm or harm to others. They took away those four prongs. And so now a child is able to go to a residential facility, check themselves in, and then mom and dad have to try to get that child back if they even find out where that child is because the law only requires that the residential facility make best efforts to locate mom and dad. Um, and then once mom and dad find out where the child is, uh, then they have to fight to get the child back when there's no claims against them. So I don't know how the parents are going to get their kids back. And I haven't quite finished my research on this, but I do believe that the state of California is building new facilities to house these 12 and up children that want to opt out of their family um, so that they have some place to put them. We so, also know that these residential <laughs> facilities aren't safe places for kids. This is where the sex, yeah. sex traffickers hang out. So what what is it that California, who does California think should be raising California's children who don't want to be at home anymore? And just, I mean, you know, you're a mom. Like, like, how often does your kid not want to be at home? Kids, kids have all kinds of crazy ideas that can last for a few days, a few hours, a few minutes, or even a month or so. So if you end up, if your child and you end up in an argument over any kind of thing that you're not letting them eat enough Fritos and Twinkies, you could have your kid in a, in a fit of anger be totally severed from you and your family home all because of why? What is it that what is it that California and Scott Weiner think is so good about this? What is it that they even think the positive is? Well, I think we have to look at it a different way. They find all parents to be abusive and negative and um, horrible humans. We saw that with Rob Bonta's lawsuit, uh, where he said that all parents of trans-identified kids are abusive and will harm or kill their children. So there's a sentiment that parents are bad and that the state is great um, at parenting. And we know that's a, a falsehood because look at the uh, terrible success rate or failure rate of kids that are in foster care, how often they graduate from high school, um, become homeless, become sex workers, um, or uh, become criminals or drug addicts. So the, the whole design is to break up the family. This is queer theory in its full-blown um, glory, is to blow up everything that's good. A family is good, and they want to blow it up and empower children to make adult decisions. This, of course, dovetails into, well, if a 12-year-old can emancipate, a 12-year-old can agree to have sex, can they not? So yeah, in a lot of ways, I, I think that you're right. And a lot of this is a push to almost, uh, you know, you, you almost hesitate to say it, but it's a push to sanction pedophilia in a legal way. 
And Scott Weiner is also the one who changed the laws about um, uh, sex offenders, right? Wasn't he also the one who said that uh, certain kinds of sex offenses against minors should not actually be considered sex offenses because it's really just bigoted against the LGBT community? It's a little bit different than that. What, what he did was he, he passed a bill that took uh, sex offenders off the registry, right. the sex registry. Um, so it's not that they can't be uh, criminalized or penalized, but they have been, they no longer go on the registry. So, you know, a family doesn't know that their neighbor, their neighbor, um, you know, was sexually assaulted by an, you know, an, a man who was within 10 years of that person's age. So it's just a way to hide criminals and mm -hmm. decriminalize pedophilia. Yeah, I find that absolutely disturbing. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm glad to see that parents like you are, are fighting back against this. Uh, when we come back after the break, we can talk to Aaron more about why people like Scott Weiner keep getting elected in California and what parents can do and what she's been doing with her group to make sure that parents are informed um, and aware and can really fight back against this stuff. And I'm hoping that uh, some of these lessons from California can help out here in the, in the rest of the country as well. I'm always listening to Human Events with Jack Posobiec. And this is Libby Emmons. I am back with you on Human Events Daily, filling in for Jack Posobiec. And we've been talking to Aaron Friday, who uh, runs Our Duty out of California, which um, seeks to help parents, seeks to uh, deal with some of this insane legislation that comes up in California and in so many states across the United States. I think that a lot of us are uh, just not even aware of how insidious gender ideology is, um, not just in California, but pretty much everywhere. It's in New Jersey and Illinois, Minnesota, Michigan, New York, Massachusetts. Um, these are just a couple of states that I can name off the top of my head. Uh, we saw in the past year or so how bad it was in Florida that uh, a whole parental rights in education legislation had to be passed in that state just to protect parents from schools, essentially, and to protect students from schools. So, Erin, a lot of what you and I have talked about in the past has to do with uh, these laws that have been pushed into place by State Senator Scott Weiner, who uh, so many of us just, I mean, he leaves such a bad taste in your mouth. He's just so, so terrible at what he does here. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what Our Duty is doing and how you are helping parents fight back against this terrible legislation and the gender indoctrination that we see um, in education all over the place? Sure. So Our Duty goes to the Capitol and testifies. We also do calls to action where we give people the script to call their local lawmakers and stop some of these bills, um, where to write, um, where to protest. And um, people can go to ourduty.group and they can sign up as an advocate and we can help them uh, figure out what letters to write and how to protect their kids at the schools. The most important thing really is the schools and parents really need to step up and uh, run for school board. School boards are so incredibly powerful uh, and are needed to stop the faucet. Basically, mm -hmm. schools are creating gender dysphoric kids. 
this is not an organic movement. Uh, the schools are filling these young children with thoughts that they can just opt out of their sex willy-nilly, willy so like it's nothing. You're saying that schools are creating the epidemic of gender dysphoria, that it's coming directly from schools. Absolutely. 100%. When you read to a child that they can opt out of their sex when they're little and those brains are little sponges, they keep that in their brains and uh, it feeds them. And they're doing sex ed classes where an entire hour or two hours is just on gender identity. And these kids are, are gravitating to it because they're also being taught that as a white you know, middle-class person that they're oppressors and they want to hop into a vic victimization bucket. And the easiest way to do that is to be, you know, gr go on the LGBTQ um, train and then they get lauded. I mean, they get celebrated at school. They have coming out parties. They become special. The nerdy, weird kid suddenly has a tribe and is celebrated at school as soon as they say that they're trans or non-binary. So it's a very intriguing identity to glum onto, and it really starts at the schools. Schools in Transition is a manual that was created by the ACLU and The Galician, ACLU created it, this, the Schools in Transition Yes, manual? they were involved in it. Okay. This is, yes, of course, it, the and, organization and that is supposed to be upholding civil liberties and free speech in the United States. And what we've seen is not just the ACLU, what you're saying is they've created this Schools in Transition manual, but they also are taking up cases all over the country along with um, PFLAG to prevent data from being released about, you know, how many men are in women's prisons, as we saw in Washington, and in so many other states trying to make sure that state legislation that has gone through to prevent children from being medically gender transitioned is stopped. They're actually trying to halt the protection of children in a lot of states. So tell us about this, uh, tell us about this schools in transition thing. Yeah, well, let's just talk for one more second about the ACLU. I mean, okay. they've lost their mission. They sure I mean, have. they're totally captured yes. by, by transgenderism completely. I mean, I used to write checks to them. I, I'm embarrassed to say. Uh, but they wrote this book or this uh, manual called Schools in Transition. And it says in there that young children are more malleable than the older children. So they need to be teaching it to younger and younger kids. This is, you know, grooming. Let's call it what it is. It's grooming. And in that document, it has uh, forms, secret social transition plans. Are you saying the ACLU are groomers? So the ACLU is grooming American kids? Basically, uh, I guess I, I guess I'm saying that. I think anybody you're saying who, that. Yeah, anybody I'm, who's yeah. saying let's 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 go ahead and teach young children about sexuality and transgenderism is a groomer in my book. I don't care who they used to be or or what their name is. This is wrong, and and that document even says the school should scaffold the child's gender identity. That word scaffold. Scaffold. I mean, like build it up around scaffold. them as though the child is under Correct. construction. Correct. That's very disturbing. And make sure it goes higher and higher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's terribly frightening. And, and most people can find this on their school's website. If you, if you keep 
going deep enough. Uh, you'll actually find it that schools are following this. And that brings me to the secret social transition plans, which are part of that manual, which are being adopted by schools all over the nation, not just the states that you talked about. Mm -hmm. This is happening in every state, whether it's a red state or blue state. Um, computer programs are, are actually being used by schools where um, teachers can uh, manipulate the records so that every time they send an email to mom and dad, it has the child's legal name on oh, it. I saw this. Even yeah, though this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it this, is. Yeah, go it ahead. Is. Yeah, tell us about it. Yeah, so it's uh, Aries. I, I just looked up Aries, and, and that's what it does is, is you can put a flag. So all the teachers and everyone in school knows that your child is gender confused except mom and dad because, you know, mom and dad are going to throw their children out uh, allegedly or, or harm them. It, it's such an absurd statement and that the school is the safe space. And remember, these kids are in school 160 days out of the year. Uh, teachers leave after three o'clock. Mm -hmm. Parents are there all the time. And to cut the most important adult out of a child's life is absolutely alarming. It is really, so, it is really totally insane to see that, you know, as, as you're telling us, schools and the so many legislatures are actually taking aim at the American family, at American students, at American kids, and seeking to undermine, um, you know, American culture and our values and everything that we think is really important. Thank you so much, Erin, for sharing that with us today. I think that that's eye-opening for a lot of us out here.